Uh, there were obviously some great choices for this summer, topics that could be selected. And based on the date that we agreed to preach, we were assigned a topic. Because as you know, we're enjoying this wonderful theme of bonfire sermons. You know, those great sermons, those great stories of the Bible, like, like Noah and, and, and uh, Abraham and stories about David and Goliath and the three guys that get thrown into a fiery furnace. Those great stories, those kind of campfire, bonfire stories of our faith. And uh, when I heard what my topic was, I got pretty excited. You see, every year for the past seven years, I have gone to work with our Wesleyan church in Egypt for about two weeks. And uh, my topic this morning is the exodus of the children of Israel, the story of Moses. And I was so excited when I thought about this topic. There's so many great stories of Moses that you can pull out, the parting of the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, the, the pillar of fire and the, the pillar of smoke, all those great stories. But the highlight that we're going to look at actually goes way back. You see, there are about eight major transitions, eight major life circumstances that occurred in Moses' life. Some of those he had complete control over. Others were simply his response to things that were outside of his control. Uh, but we could actually schedule an entire summer of bonfire sermons just around the life of Moses. You know, the first one would be about his amphibious baby crib that led him to be adopted by a royal family. And so it goes, this amazing story of his life. But I want to focus on the one that I think, of all the bonfire highlights of his life, I want to focus on the one that I think was the most critical. It's not the time when he faced Pharaoh and they had the battle of wills and the ten plagues and finally the people were set free. It's not when he stood at the Red Sea and God split it in two. It's not even when he came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. The major bonfire moment in Moses' life was his encounter with God at the burning bush. You might call it the ultimate bonfire story of the Bible. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I'll just bring up to speed really quick with what's happened in his life up until this point. Uh, he was raised uh, through a miracle of God saving his life as an infant, raised in Pharaoh's family, Pharaoh's palace. And when he was about 40 years old, he had discovered that he was an Israelite. And when he was about 40 years old, uh, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster being cruel to one of the Israelite slaves. And filled with rage and in a moment of passion, he committed murder and killed that Egyptian soldier. And he thought he'd be a hero with the Israelites. But the reverse happened because they actually punished the slaves even harder because Moses had killed that soldier. And the Israelites hated him. And now he was kicked out of the house and he had to flee for his life. He was a fugitive. And so he headed across the desert to a land called Midian and he spent 40 years there. He found a guy named Jethro, a good guy, a leader actually, who taught him a lot of things about leadership. And uh, he decided that he would uh, get a little job security, so he married the boss's wife, or the boss's uh, daughter, thank you. There we go, I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Thank you for paying attention. All right. <laughs> I hate the fact these things are recorded, you know. So he marries into the family business, and this thing is gonna be his. Life is getting better, 
year after year, and he knows the farm is going to be his one day, and life is getting pretty good. Then unexpectedly something happens. It changes everything. He has this experience with the burning bush. Now, fire catches our attention, doesn't it? It can even be hypnotic, but fire catches our attention. Let me just tell you a quick story. We have some very special friends with us. Ellen and I and our three daughters, Mallory, Julie, and Shori, uh, have been attending Moncton Wesleyan now for a couple of years. We love our church. And I get to be here about 30% of the time because of my responsibilities serving with Dr. H.C. Wilson. Uh, and we just love our church. Uh, we were gone for seven years on what I call our Indiana exile. I worked for the missions department of the Wesleyan Church, which is headquartered in Indianapolis. And we moved there in 2007 and came back a couple of years ago. And right next to us, this wonderful family, Mark and Michelle and their son Corey and their daughter Kara. And uh, they became great friends. And our two youngest daughters became BFFs. And in fact, Mark and Michelle and their daughter Kara are here in the service this morning. And so uh, it's great to have them here. They came all the way from Indiana, not because I was preaching. But if you want to tell Dr. Anderson next week that last week somebody drove two days to come hear the preacher, you know, you can tell him that if you want. But it, you know, might be twisting the truth a little bit. So here, here's, a, here's something that happened once, and this is going to make my neighbors look really good and make me look really bad. Because I'm one of those needy neighbors that needs a lot of help. And uh, there was one particular... Uh, time that we had had a, a campfire kind of experience with all of our neighbors. Every year at Halloween, we pull out our, our fire pits into our cul-de-sac, put all our Halloween candy on a table, and the kids came by and loaded up their candy, and we just brought food out and just enjoyed each other's company and, and had a great night. So the next morning, we had been using my garbage bin for the garbage, for the, camp, uh, for the little campfire that we were doing. And the next morning, I came to take my fire pit out back, and my fire was out, and it was just filled with ashes. I thought, this is going to be a hassle to try to clean this up. So I got my, my, uh, my garbage bins right there. It's, I know the fire's totally out, and some of you are already looking at me. You know where this story is going. And, and I did what it says right on the side of the bin, do not put ashes in the bin. And so I took the, my fire pit and I emptied the, the, what I thought were all dead ashes into the bin and I rolled it up next to the side of our house and I went inside. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, about, I don't know, 15 minutes later, Michelle runs into our house screaming, get some water, quick, get some water. And I run out and Mark has pulled the bin, which is a flame, away from the side of our house. And so... Uh, what am I trying to say? Fire catches our attention. And Mark, thank you so much for saving my house in Indiana from burning to the ground. So um, would, you, would you join me in saying an official thank you to him for saving my life? Thank you. So, I've been waiting for the right time to do that, Mark, and it seemed like a, a good opportunity to do that. So Moses sees this, this burning bush, and he comes over, and, and as he's approaching it, let's dive into Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, it was, it was very likely just a common bush. 
I'm sure there were thousands of bushes just like it through the desert and, and on the mountain. One of the things I love about this story is that it reinforces a truth that we see when we're around God for very long. God loves to take the things that are common. He loves to take the things that are routine and ordinary, and he loves to use us in extraordinary ways. Amen? God's presence at the center of this bush caused it to catch fire. It's a great symbol of how God's presence in the center of a person's life causes us to come to life. And the miracle of the burning bush is that it, it was filled with flame, but it didn't consume the bush. It didn't burn up the bush. And that's exactly what God's spirit does in our life. He causes us to be used without being used up as we make a difference in the world. When the fire of God's spirit is at the center of our lives, we keep burning up without burning out. That's the power of God at work. Dr. Steve Lennox is the president of Kingswood University just down the road in Sussex. And this year, he's a biblical scholar, he's well-published, and this year he just published another book on the life of Moses. And I've been reading it this summer, and uh, in his book, he, he gives a, a peculiar insight. It was a new idea for me about why God spoke, perhaps, to Moses through this burning bush. Uh, Dr. Lennox says, Perhaps God revealed himself to Moses in a fiery bush because Moses had a fiery personality. It was with a fiery anger that Moses killed that Egyptian taskmaster. I suspect that all during his time of hiding away in the desert, Moses had within him a burning of anger, resentment, and bitterness over what had happened in his life. In a sense, when Moses saw the burning bush, it was fire meeting fire. The fire within the mind and heart of Moses encountering the fire of God's presence. It's an interesting thought. Now I'm going to challenge you this morning, church, to join me in learning from the wisdom of Moses' experience at that ultimate bonfire story of Scripture. God calls him out of this supernatural bonfire to free the Israelites from the Egyptians. And this defining moment for Moses not only affected his life and the life of the Israelites for generations and for centuries, but it changed the history of the world. And we see that Moses asked God four different questions at this burning bush. And in one form or another, they're the same questions that we tend to ask God when we square off with his will for us in the face of life's challenges. So let's see what we can learn. Here's the first question. Moses walks up and God says, I've got this job for you. I want you to go back to Egypt where you're a criminal and where the people that are your own can't stand you. I want you to go back and I want you to free my people and lead them to the promised land. So let's look at Exodus 3, 11 and 12 to see the first question. But Moses said to God, here it is, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You see, God says to Moses, I want you to set the people free from Egypt. And Moses basically says, excuse me? Right, me, an ordinary guy. I used to have this 
extraordinary life. I'm just a common shepherd now. And you want me to do something like that? I'm, I'm way underqualified for that kind of an assignment. And church, here's the bad news. We are always going to be underqualified for the best that God wants us to accomplish in our own strength. That's the bad news. But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. We have good reason to ask of ourselves or to ask God, who am I to make this happen? Who am I to make a real difference in the world? It's a question that all of us have had. And God looks at Moses and he says, Moses, I will be with you. That's God's answer. It's a great answer. I, I kind of wonder why God maybe didn't use this opportunity to, to build Moses up a little bit, to put a little wind in his sails to prepare him for the challenge that was ahead. I mean, he, he could have said, who are you? You have no idea, Moses. Uh, you're going to be one of the key characters in this book that we're going to call the Bible. Billions of people are going to read about you and know who you are. And 3,500 years from now, they're going to be making movies about your life. And Moses would say, what's a movie? He'd say, don't worry about it, I'll tell you later. And, and I mean, God could have looked at him and said, you know, you, you have way more under the hood than you think. But he didn't. He accepted at face value Moses' question. But he said, I will be with you. And instead of pointing back to Moses, he pointed Moses to himself. Let me tell you about my friend Joshi Bosch. Uh, Joshi uh, has uh, two master's degrees and is completing his third. He's from Bangladesh, uh, was uh, at an earlier point in his life living in Norway, married to a great Norwegian gal by the name of Ossel that he met through some international development work that was happening in, uh, in Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh. And they married, and he relocated in, in Norway. Joshi's brother, John, and his sister-in-law, Rita, had felt led of God in the mid-2000s to begin a small group of churches that uh, aligned theologically with what we call the Wesleyan movement. But it was an independent kind of a work. And they, they poured their life into it. And after three years, three or four years, they had about 14 churches. And tragically... For some reason, God allowed John and Rita to die in a car accident, leaving their little son orphaned. Well, through a series of events that I don't have time to explain to you, it's an incredible story for you to hear Joshi's full story. But God led him through his own burning bush experience to come to a place of surrender, to say, okay, I'll do this, God, if you want me to go back to Bangladesh and start to lead this work. He's, he's not even a pastor. He will soon be ordained. He's working on his master of divinity right now to be ordained. So a few years ago, I was privileged to travel with our Asia area director, Dr. Romy Karingal, and we went in to do an assessment of this work they had requested to join the Global Wesleyan Church. And we went in and we met with this group. You understand, there are a lot of groups and a lot of requests that come from all over the world, and many of those, frankly, are not bona fide. They're simply money gra grabs, and uh, there are just a lot of hard questions you have to ask and difficult decisions you have to make. But as we stumbled into this group, we sensed God's presence and the humility and power of his work with them and with this leader. And 
they were permitted to join our Global Wesleyan family. Well, in just a few short years, this fall, Global Partners is projecting that that little work will have almost 75 churches in a land that is predominantly Muslim and Hindu. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. It's incredible. Joshi said, who am I? And God said, I will be with you. And he took him at face value. And Joshi is writing another great story, a bonfire story of faith. He is a modern-day Moses for his country. You know, God says to Moses, it's not about who you are. It's about the promise that I will be with you. I have the strength to carry you through whatever I ask you to do. And, and God gives Moses in, in those two chapters, Exodus 3 and Exodus 4, he gives Moses five predictions of things that will happen. And, of course, all of those things come true. And as they come true in the early uh, months and years of Moses' leadership, he is reminded of this promise in response to his question of inadequacy, that God is with him. And maybe this morning you feel like you're going through a tough season in life. Maybe this morning you're wondering how it is you can possibly be God's answer for the challenge you feel he might be giving you. And if that's you, I want to say this to you, and I want you to hear this so clearly. God will be with you. Church, the miracle birthed at the parting of the Red Sea was conceived at the most famous bonfire of all time. God wants to prepare you for the courage to trust him with the impossible obstacles of life by wrestling with your questions before the trial comes. And then Moses asked another question. Not who am I, he asked the question, who are you? Look at Exodus 3, 13 and 14. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name. Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What's God's answer? Two simple words. I am. Or in the Hebrew, Yahweh. This is where God introduces his name to the Israelites. So what does it mean when God says, I am? I'll again turn to our biblical scholar down the road. Dr. Lennox, and I love how he unpacks this part of the story in Moses' life, in this ultimate bonfire experience. Dr. Lennox says, God named himself by describing himself. In place of a label, church, God provided a theology. Amen? At the heart of this theology is God's ever-present faithfulness, his nature as eternal yet personal, God always is, was, and will be himself. He has never not been and will never not be. He will never act out of character or lack the qualities that make him who he is. He can always be depended upon and will never disappoint. And Dr. Lennox finishes with this comment. Moses sought a name, but God gave him so much more, he gave him a guarantee. And that's what you have and that's what I have. This morning, Yahweh means more than the promise of God's presence. Yahweh means you can really depend on God. 
This was an epic moment of God's glory through Moses' life. Without the theology of the great I am at the burning bush, there would have been no plagues, no Ten Commandments, no pillars of fire and smoke. And in life's challenges when we ask, who am I? God says, I am with you. When we ask, who are you? God says, I am. But Moses isn't finished. He asks another question. And I'll just summarize it here, but you're going to see it in these verses. He says, what about them? What about them? In Exodus 4, verses 1 and 2, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. God answers a question with a question. You know, Moses is, is basically saying, and I can just see this going in his mind. Okay, so God, you want me to go back to these people that are already ticked off at me and probably still remember what I did and have told everybody about it that was born since then. You want me to go back and sit down and say, all right, God has sent me to deliver you. Let me tell you how this started. You see, I was out in the mountainside with my flock and I saw this burning bush. And it started to talk to me. And Moses, it's, it's all going to go downhill after that. This is not going to be a good conversation. And, and he's playing this out in his head. And he's trying to get a sense of, of how this is going to work. And, and, and he's, he's thinking, God, I tried to help my people. And it didn't work out. I gave it my best shot. And they've rejected me. Why are you asking me to do this? It's not going to work. You know, everyone has negative voices in their life. I do. You do. But have you ever stopped to ask this? What are those negative voices? Wherever they come from, what are they keeping me from? What if they reject me? What if they look down on me? And so we never even risk. We never even step out in faith. We stop believing that we can become someone who makes a difference because we're afraid of what they think. God answers this question with a question of his own. God looks at Moses and says, Moses, what's in your hand? Forget about them for a minute. What are you holding on to right now? And Moses says, what, a, a stick? You know, I'm a shepherd. This is a tool of my trade. It's just a common everyday thing. It's all I have to offer. There's nothing spectacular about it. And then this is a critical point of this story, church. God says to Moses, I want you to throw it on the ground. Essentially, he's saying, I want you to release control of what you believe is the best you have. And I want you to surrender it to what I'm asking you to do. Now, in that moment, Moses could have taken his stick and said, it's not a great stick, but it's my stick. I'm not throwing it on the ground. This is crazy. And he could have put his sandals on and walked back to his, his flock, and that would have been the end of his story. But he didn't. He took what little he had, and as God asked him to give it to his service, he threw it at the feet of God. And it turned into a snake. Incredible story. And God says, pick up the snake. Moses is thinking, this story is getting even worse. 
And so he reaches over. As soon as he touches it, it turns back into a staff. You know, what, what is God saying here? The answer to the they question in our lives is to take what is in our hand, stop worrying about other people, and put it in God's hands. That's the answer to the they question. Because all of a sudden, you're not alone anymore. It's not about you. It's about how God is leading what you have. You may not have noticed this before. I love this in the story. But from this point on, whenever Moses talks about the staff, he doesn't talk about it being my staff. He talks about it being the staff of God. The common things in our life become sacred things in God's eyes that we get to steward to make a difference for eternity. He saw this staff in a new way, an entirely new way. And, and you might be thinking, you know, the only thing I have in my hand is small compared to what others have to offer. My life is ordinary. I'm not enough for anybody to do anything with. Well, you might be right. You might be right in your own strength and in your own wisdom. But take what you have in your hand, put it in his hand, and watch what he does with it. Amen. Yep. Even though God's plan for his chosen people was in the promised land of Canaan, his heart never turned away from Egypt. And, and God is still very much at work in the land. It's not the land of pineapples. It's the land of leeks and garlics. That was for you, Connor. And uh, it's the land of leeks and garlic. And, and while there are 110 pineapples of that ancient land that point to a man-made theology of salvation by works, today, and I've met some of these people, God is leading hundreds of thousands of Egyptians who have been far from God to experience his saving grace. Uh, it is incredible, particularly since the revolution and through the Muslim Brotherhood and the government being toppled, and now the, the general that did that has been elected the president, President Sisi. Uh, these are incredible days of God being at work in the land of Egypt. Uh, the, the percentage of Christians in the country is estimated to be somewhere around 18%, although official numbers that are given by the government are much lower than that. And there is a quiet revolution, a spiritual revival that is spreading through that country. Dr. Atif was just here in April. Actually, he spoke to the youth group here at, at Moncton Wesley, and Pastor Drew had him in. And uh, he, he is an amazing leader, leading incredible people to serve in a place where it would be easy to say, what about them? Really, God? You want me to live out your truth and the power of your gospel? And you, know, you think you have it tough. Try being a Christian or a Christian leader in Egypt. I guarantee you whatever problems you think you have will not be problems anymore. It's incredible what God is doing. I'm so moved and inspired by our leaders and our pastors there. You know, does it make a difference whether we put what we have in God's hands? Well, of course it does. Look what God did with a stick. It was a stick. And he takes that stick and, and he stretches his hand out and ten plagues occur. That, that mirror so many of the religious beliefs and the gods of, of what was entrenching the Egyptians uh, and, and trapping them spiritually. Um, he holds that stick out, and, and it sets his people free. And, and he holds it out, and the sun stands still. The earth stops spinning, and the earth stops orbiting. God did that 
It's incredible. One of the main story, incredible stories, bonfire stories about Moses' life. Um, you may be thinking, what I have to offer is just so common, just so ordinary. What difference could it make? Church, don't you dare let what other people think about you or what you have to offer ever keep you from becoming all that God sees in you. Don't do it. Give God what you have in your hand right now and then watch what he does. But Moses isn't finished yet. He has one more question. He's been circling around and he's ready to come in for landing. He's like, this is going to be the clincher. And essentially he asked this question, not what about them, but what about this? And then he presents what he believes is an impassable, impossible obstacle and limitation from him being used for what God is calling him to do and be. We'll, we'll look at that in a second, but all of us have these things. It, it may be something that happened in our past. It may be an inability that we feel uh, like we have in our life or a sense of inferiority or some guilt that we have. I, I don't know what it is, but we all have those things that if we, could, if we could just be vulnerable and pull back the shell of our life, we would say, really, God, are you sure you got the right guy? What about this? Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, here it is. O oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Is it not I, the Lord? Moses is like, okay, this has been a pretty good job interview so far, but this last little bit I got to talk about on my resume is definitely going to close the door. You want me to lead a nation? I can't even talk good. You know, I, 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 I'm just, I stutter. I, I don't know what it was that Moses had, but he, he had been educated in an incredible way, but, but he, he was completely, completely insecure about his own ability to speak in front of other people and to lead them and to communicate to them. You know, Moses felt handicapped, but there are more than just physical kinds of handicaps that we experience in life. Um, some people feel uh, limited by past decisions or by their lack of education or by their family baggage or their difficult marriage or some wound from the past. Other people by their emotions or their mind or their health or their circumstances. But when we are tempted to make God aware of our handicaps, he tells us he wants to take those and show us his power. Amen? He wants to show us his power. He's aware of our shortcomings, but he also wants us to be aware of his overcoming strength through us. It's just like God to take a person like Moses who says, I can't talk at all, and to use him to make the speeches before Pharaoh with his brother Aaron that he he sent to help him, and we don't know the dynamic of all that happened there, but Aaron was a great help to him, and God provided. Um, Moses shared some of the greatest sermons in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, he, he wrote some incredible songs that are still in the Word, that, that were, have been sung for centuries and millennia by the, by the Israelite people. It's just like God to do that. God looks at Moses and says, you can trust me. I've got this. I'm the one who made you. 
This does not surprise me. This does not bother me. This gives me an incredible opportunity to show my power in the face of your weakness. Now let's go. Amen. Last week you heard from Dr. Dennis Jackson, whom I was privileged to serve with for the first couple of years as he led our missions agency. And uh, uh, Dennis has shared in a number of different places that I've heard him share that in his early life as a Christian and even in his early years in college, he was terrified of public speaking. He would skip classes where he had to give a, a speech and a presentation, just get an F for it. And now God has pushed him not around that problem. He has pushed him through that problem like a great Red Sea in his life. And now Dennis is preaching and teaching and leading and guiding through his public speaking literally on every continent of the world except Antarctica on an annual basis. That's the kind of God we serve, amen? That's what he wants to do with our life. You know, what, what is the big this in your life? Where you need to hear God say, look, I know that, that I want to use you in spite of that and maybe even through that. What is that thing? Moses had all these worries about what wouldn't happen, what they, what they would say, how it wouldn't work. You know what first happened when he got back? When he actually followed through, listen to Ephesians 4, or Exodus 4, rather, verse 29, 31. He's actually obeying God now, and he's talking to the Israelite leaders. And this is what happens. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. You see, it didn't happen at all like Moses had expected. He did, through God, have the strength to go. He did have the strength to speak. He did have the strength through God, to set and lead the people free. Hebrews 11, verse 26, that great hall of faith chapter of which Moses is one of the honored people, uh, says in verse 26, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking ahead where was he looking ahead? Verse 27 of Hebrews 11. He had his eye on the one no one can see, and he kept right on going. That's what I need to do. That's what you need to do. When we look at the world around us, and we look at our own uh, limitations, and we say, what about this? Jesus says, don't look at that. Look at the one who is going to give you what you need and keep right on going. Looking to the one who gives strength to move ahead. That's where we look. Moses had his eye on the one that no one could see. And he looked ahead to the rewards that no one could match. And because of that, he had the strength to move ahead. That was the promise of the ultimate bonfire story for Moses. And it's the same promise that God has for you and for me today. You know, God answers uh, God's answers to those questions of Moses at the burning bush are just as true for every single one of us here this morning. God has a promised land for each of us. It probably is not physically to go to Canaan, but he has a good, pleasing, and perfect will for each one of our lives. And he will lead us through the challenges of life to arrive at that promised land when we lean into the truth that Moses found at his ultimate bonfire 
experience. I've asked someone to be here today that does normally not attend this church. And I'm really excited about how we're going to finish this service this morning. And I'll do my best to uh, maintain my composure uh, because I think this story just reflects so much of how beautiful it can be when God reaches in to what we are willing to offer him, even if it doesn't seem like anything extraordinary. Many of you have heard of, and maybe some of you who are new have not, but have heard about the fact that this uh, great church, Moncton Wesleyan, uh, back in the 1970s and early 80s, had this phenomenal bus ministry. And I see uh, Pastor B down here. How many buses did we have at our peak? About eight buses. And did all of them have wheels? Don't answer that. Um, some of them were even legal, I think. Uh, but those eight buses, they went to every nook and cranny, every alleyway, every corner of this city. And, uh, and, and captains of the buses and teams of the buses would go and they would knock on doors and they would say, hey, do you have any kids? Would you like your kids to get on the bus and come to Sunday school? And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask right now if Grant O'Connor would come on up here on the stage uh, with me right now. And uh, I'm going to ask, is there anybody here this morning who served in some way? Maybe you changed tires on those buses. Maybe you were a bus captain. Maybe you prepared, you know, the candy bags for the gum that they gave away on the buses. Um, if you helped in any way during that ministry and you are still here in the church, would you stand up right now, please, wherever you are? Any of you that helped with that ministry? Can we thank all these people for their incredible ministry? Wonderful. Now stay standing for just a second. Stay standing. If any of you are in this church today, or your family started coming here, and you are a result of the fact that other families started coming because of that bus ministry, I want you to stand and join these people who are already standing. Could, the re could others of you stand? Look at that. Amen. You may be seated. That, my friends, is how the gospel works. That is the power of God at work. So why have I asked my friend Grant to leave his normal church of attendance, a great church, and come to be here on this special Sunday? Um, can, I, can I steal a mic? Can I use that mic over there? Would that be okay? This one right here. Grant, how many, like, theological degrees did you have to get to, to join the bus team ministry? You can just go ahead and hold Zero. on to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you actually, how, how young were you in your faith when you started helping out with this? Um, you just hold that up for a little. about a year, I guess. So you had only been a believer for about a year. Yep. Wow. And uh, you were how old at the time? Uh, 19, 20. So you were in your late teens, early 20s, you'd just come to faith, and you were connected to what God was leading here through Pastor Buckingham's leadership, and uh, they signed up people to help with the bus ministry, and you said, here am I, and don't send somebody well, else. Somebody came and got me. <laughs> <laughs> I see. You were voluntold. Is that how it worked? Some of you might remember uh, Herman Berry, and it's one of those guys you couldn't say no to, just uh, one of those bigger-than-life personalities, took me under his wing, and 
he did the door knocking for a while, and I followed along quietly behind in the background. And, <laughs> and eventually <laughs> started was, doing some door knocking yourself. Yeah, because I was very shy and so on, you know. Yeah. Didn't know what to say or what to do, but eventually that he just kind of uh, worked his, worked himself out of a job. I think that was his plan, <laughs> and I took over. <laughs> Wonderful. <clears throat> so about 1978, Grant, you rang the doorbell at one house and met a mom that had three little girls. Do you? Well, maybe two little two girls at, time, at that yeah. point. Maybe she was pregnant with the third. Could have been uh, a long time ago. Yeah. So do, do you rem <clears throat> do you remember? Connecting there, do you remember? Do you remember those girls as they kind of tied into the bus ministry? Yeah, I don't remember the first day that uh, we met, but I still remember a five-year-old and a three-year-old, two little girls, and you know, you could pick them up and carry them and hug them, and you know, I always loved kids, so it was a great. Uh, somebody saw that in me, and it was a great ministry for me to be involved in. So. Well, <clears throat> the the truth is, which you already know, but they're about to find out. The truth is, uh, the the oldest girl of that family is here in this service today. Yes, and, uh, and you actually, you and, and your wife uh, reconnected with her for the first time in almost 35 years yeah, 30. here this morning before the service. And uh, um, uh, I want to thank you. Something Grant. special about her. Dear. Something very special about <laughs> her. Because you, uh, you knocked on a door of a family that was not going to church. The mom said that her girls could come to this church. And then she tells me she followed the bus for several weeks in her car to make sure this wasn't some kind of crazy cult doing <laughs> weird things with, with her kids. And eventually she started coming to this yeah. church. And uh, today uh, she attends a Wesleyan church and, and, uh, and that oldest little girl in that house, Grant, is the woman that I am now very privileged to call my wife of 21 years. Yes. Yes. And I was, I was told on point of death that if I asked her to come up here that I would be sleeping on the couch for a year. But I am going to ask my wife, Ellen, if she would stand up. She's over here at the back. Well, I can and ask her to come up. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. They will only come back on me. And um, church, church, here's how we're going to end this this morning. All right? No weepy altar calls, although those are wonderful things that God has used in my life. Uh, there's not going to be an emotional appeal or some kind of drawn-out thing where you have to sign a card and come to a class next week, although those are wonderful things. Here's what we're going to do to end the service today. I'm going to ask that all of you would stand up right now. And I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing and thanksgiving over Grant for God using his life and for his willingness. You see, church, God has already provided the answers to our burning questions. You know, first, Moses had to yield what he had in his hand to God. Only after this took place could God use that staff as his own. And as long as Moses held on to it, God could not and would not perform miracles through it. Church, God delights in showing his power through us. It has literally almost been 40 years since the day that you knocked on that door. 38 years. And 
here you have the fruit of your labor because you were willing to throw at the feet of God something he was asking you to give. And as I pray a, a prayer of thanksgiving for Grant's ministry and for his life, I want to ask you simply to do this. If you in your spirit are prepared to say yes to God with any way that he is asking you to give of what you have to him, I'm just going to ask that as I pray for Grant that you extend your hand out and let go symbolically of what might be yours that you're holding on to and release it to God. And let's see what he does with it, church. Are you ready to see what God does with it? Wouldn't it be amazing if 40 years from now another great story comes because of what you are willing to surrender at this bonfire moment in your life? This biblical bonfire calls out to us still from the Midian desert. What is the staff that God has put in your hands? What is it? it it's not too small for God. And he wants it all. When we yield our time, our treasure, and our talents to the Lord, God will perform miracles through them to forever change the lives we touch through our faithfulness. And I want to be a part of that bonfire story. Do you want to be a part of that bonfire story, church? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Grant. I thank you for his faithfulness in the, the early months and years of, of his walk with you. That he didn't, he didn't just sit back and wait until he felt like he had it all together before he decided to just throw his hat in the ring and be a part of sharing with others what you had given to him. And as he shared his own, his own fear of even talking to people, being a shy person, and, and how he was coached, he had his own Aaron in his life who coached him and, and raised him up and released him in ministry. I thank you for the the countless people here at Moncton Wesleyan that do that so well with so many people. And I pray, Lord, for the people here in the church who have been holding on to their stuff, thinking it wouldn't really make a difference anyway. And Lord, as we pray today, there are many of us who are standing, who are, who are extending our arms. Our, our fist is not clenched. It is open symbolically to you as an offering to say here at this bonfire Sunday of July 2016, you are with us. You are the I am. We give you what we have, this staff in our hands. We thank you that you are going to declare your power through us to change eternity. And so we give you praise for Grant and for the countless seeds of your gospel truth that were sowed through hundreds of homes and lives and for all that is represented in the life of one, my wife Ellen, who stood this morning and the generations of that influence and faithfulness that are now being passed on down through uh, this church and through your church. We thank you for Grant's faithfulness, and I thank you for the faithfulness of all those here who are responding to your call. Let this bonfire day be a defining moment in our lives as we continue to give you all that we have to make a difference for the world and for eternity. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, let's worship, church.